0: You are listening to Get Real Podcast.
1: are outdoors we're outside the fishbowl dan what do you think about this this is beautiful man you did a lot of landscaping and and just you're
2: real handy <laughs> Never
1: saw that coming. Uh, yeah i can do a lot of different <laughs> things so i spent uh, many hours out here yesterday mowing the lawn for this event we are outside the fishbowl doing things a little bit differently because it's beautiful outside number one and number two we are still doing some social distancing i was thinking Good thing we did Winter's Resurrection interview last year when we had all the band members we in the fishbowl. The, the
2: fishbowl. That was <laughs> we were like a sardine can. We were in a fishbowl.
1: We were. Phil was about uh, in the record closet in there when we were doing that interview. But we're gonna do something that I've been looking forward to. You hear Dan and I on the podcast and you've heard about the things that we're doing with Lithos Cry. And we have one of our friends who's been behind the scenes. And that's Donnie Walker. Donnie and I met, what was it, Donnie, in October?
0: Yeah, it would have been, yeah, I think it would have been around October, like late October.
1: And we met because we teamed up to put Rockfest together. We did. Here in Charleston. We're still working on that. That is going to happen. One of the cool things about working on Rockfest is it's not been necessarily about the event, but it's been about the people. And you're one of those people that God's brought along in that process, meeting you and seeing you grow and hearing your story and seeing you get excited about the things of the Lord and us even taking a trip together down to Florida to see Carla in Orlando with Armor of God at the Metal Church and doing that trip together. That was a lot of fun. But what I wanted to do is let you share your story with our listeners, because God's done some really cool things in your life, and look at that, Mac, Mac the Metal Dog is right on your lap out here, and he's going to help you share too, I guess.
0: <laughs> so you want me to start all the way from the beginning? Go for it. Like baby days, or a little bit past that, or what are you looking for? Wherever you, you want, want to start. is always a good place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my mom and dad met. <laughs> I, I guess they hit work. it <laughs> off. <laughs> no, um, so I was born uh, in the Midwest. At a young age? I was <laughs> like, first day fresh. How did you know, man? Glenn,
2: you really got a knack for this. I do, don't I? Not everybody has that pattern
0: recognition.
1: That you do. Coming off fresh, It's
0: nice. Uh, yeah, man. Just an average little kid uh, growing up. Um, family that I grew up in, there. You know, there was a lot of hardships, a lot of struggles. Uh, they both my parents had come from hardships and issues themselves, and they didn't either have the ability or have the desire, because they were so deeply depressed, to reach out and try to heal and grow. Um, They'd even, you know, had church experience. They'd been around people who believed in God, um, but it just didn't seem like it took any hold with them. Uh, Drugs, alcohol, uh, anger, these were the things that, you know, fueled them on a daily life. And when I was a kid, unfortunately, that bled into my and my siblings' life. Um, And so. I didn't grow up really even knowing who God was or anything. All I knew was my family and uh, the way that the family order worked is my my parents were God, and I was the stable boy, and I said yes, sir and yes, ma'am. Um, you know, fast forward a little while, went through some things, and I got in, introduced to church for the first time, and uh, it was really cool. It was I was uh, in a really hard uh, hard place at that point just because. You know, just enduring a lot of you know uh, abuse and anger and hatred and negativity just uh, from the parents that I had. You know, I was walking into this church believing I could bring nothing to anyone. That I was actually like a like a pussing sore on the earth, and that someone just needed to pop me and just cleanse that, and move on with you know everyone's lives. Um, How old were you at this time? I was, teen, like 17, 16, teen? 17 years old, um, actually. I have an interesting way of first getting into the church. I don't think many people have the story, but I had a friend who he was dating a girl, uh, that I knew and she was cheating on him. And so I was like, Hey dude, I don't know you. You don't know me, but cheating's not cool. I won't let you know your girlfriend's cheating on you. And, uh, he was like, Hey, that's cool, man. You want to come to church? <laughs> God
1: uses whatever.
0: <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So I went to church with him. Uh, it was really cool. We actually developed a pretty solid friendship for a couple of years. Um, but it was just really interesting stepping into the atmosphere of the church. It was very opposite of what I grew up in. Uh, most of the areas we lived were pretty like ghetto or poor. Or at least our house was, and uh, there was no respect. There was no, I don't know. You just didn't treat people in a good way. Typically, it's just how it functioned. And so walking into the church and watching, like there was families that were all there together, and watching, you know, everyone was making eye contact and they were respecting one another. They were clean. They. Uh, I was watching people hold the door for other people, you know, seeing people smile at each other. It was very, it was an enigma, I guess Mm -hmm. you could say. But I liked it a lot because just naturally who I was inside, you know, I just liked people. I loved people. And so I connected very well. It was really cool getting involved because a lot of, uh, there's a couple of families specifically who, like, took interest once they kind of figured out, you know, oh, this dude probably should have gone through DSS, but he's still at home. So, you know, I got meals. I got, you know, they'd let me come over and spend the night. Um, And so I had a couple of families who really poured into me without me even realizing it. Uh, And I can look back now and see that them just simply being loving people uh, just helped me get to where I am today. Um, And so it's cool to be able to see God in that.
1: Definitely God giving you mercy
0: Mm -hmm. in that. Or even like uh, not to be cheesy, but it's like I'm getting the manna from the air. Like that's what God was doing it through people instead of dropping right. it through the air. And right. so, because um, we would have a lot of days where you know we would go to the church to get food, and then well, there's no more food. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, so it was cool that people would um, would just be able to step in in these in these certain times because I was never really somebody who went around like screaming my problems at everyone. I actually had the uh, opposite issue of shutting everything in, and so. Then I was just like, "Wow, they're feeding me cool, awesome food!" (laughs) (laughs) Now I look back and I go, "Wow, God really provided for me when I really, really needed it." So,
1: isn't it strange how, when you are in the middle of trouble like that, you don't see it right away as God's hand, but then when you look back at it, you see it as God's hand?
0: Emotions, yeah. Emotions are a fickle mistress. I just. That That is one thing that you look in life and you're like, man, okay, I I remember this in the past and I see how God worked in it. I'm going to do it right now. It never happens. I've tried many, many times, especially like just even like meeting you and all this stuff with Rockfest. Like I've dreamed about this being my life for my whole life. And I know that I'm going to look back in 10 years ago. oh, wow, God, I didn't even know you were working in that way. I knew you were working, but look at you, you sly guy. <laughs> he
1: is sneaking. Yeah. yeah. He does sneak up on you. Yeah, he does.
0: <laughs> yeah, man. So, you know, I got exposed to the church. I really started getting involved. You know, I would literally do anything they asked. And when we sleep fours, when we put out tables, I don't care. That's better than getting beat and yelled at. So I'll do whatever the heck you want. You know, I was able to make some cool friends and stuff, but uh, I quickly started learning and Feeling the reality of there's one thing to be at church. It's another thing to actually have a relationship with Jesus And I saw people around me who they proclaimed it and they were reading their Bibles and they were doing all these things and I was like Okay, that looks really cool. I really want that. And so I uh, Just did what everyone told me to do. I went Into depth in reading the Bible and like getting historical background and learning stories and learning doctrines Like I really like that because I'm a geek Join the club. Yeah. <laughs> but it just didn't have any context, if that makes sense.
1: <laughs> Mac just blew it. Mac is COVID free, by the way. So
0: uh, test patient one. <laughs> For our
1: listeners, just to get a picture of this, Donnie is here sharing his story, his testimony, and Mac is just loving all over him the whole time this is going on. It's uh, Mac's a good judge of character, so keep going, bro. <laughs>
0: Man, so I just went for it. I saw people go down. It was one of those uh, altar call churches. And so <laughs> I was like, okay, I'll go do that. And I did it. I didn't really know what I was doing. You know, got baptized and everything. But I just kind of kept being who I was. Like, I didn't realize. No one took me aside and was like, so there's this transformation. And this is what it's going to look like for you. And having a relationship with Jesus isn't, you know, a Facebook status. It's actually <laughs> <laughs> I like I like that. an actual yeah. thing That's that you do.
1: Concise.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, um, Yes, I mean, I just kept doing things. Uh, I uh, eventually met a gentleman just a little bit after that who stepped into my life. Um, I transitioned out of that church, transitioned with him into a church plan he was doing, and he actually started teaching me about things. Uh, I, I had, uh, when I was a child, I experienced just a lot of sexual abuse, and so sex was something that, in my mind, it was bad, it was wrong, it was dirty. I mean, you, probably there was times I even thought it was evil and so uh, I had a a pastor who stepped in and really started working through all of that with me and teaching me no that's not the way it is this is how it looks that you know it's not like an aggressive intense action but it's actually a consensual moment between two consenting adults that can be beautiful and wonderful um in the context of marriage and uh you know like after having that experience with him it kind of blew my mind and i realized that there was a lot of things that i thought were correct about the world that weren't and so i started working with this guy uh at the church plant he was at he started teaching me things and again i was gaining the knowledge but i didn't really have that connection
1: what Um, was one of those things that you thought about the world that you thought was correct but then found out wasn't
0: aside from the sex um Maybe the the idea of trusting people would be one. Uh, What what I grew up in, especially with uh, my family and uh, just people that were around us, you know, there's a lot of drugs and alcohol, and with that comes a certain type of community. And so you didn't trust anyone with anything ever. And I literally... It was weird to me because I actually ended up living with this family for a while, and I was very specific to this square of this room is my spot, and no one goes here or else. Because I thought that's what you had to do. You protect your stuff, you protect your things, and you know this spot, and no one can go in it, otherwise, you know, they know they're going to get the whatever it would be. But uh, them letting me live with them, it kind of introduced me to the reality of, like, you know, what normal people look when they're hanging around each other, you know, me, Casa, SU, Casa, that whole idea. And
1: uh, So the concept of relationship to you was totally askew.
0: Yes, very much so. Um, in my mind, it was. I have to do something to serve you in order to earn your presence and earn your liking. Um, And so that's kind of what I ended up doing with everyone. And naturally at hand, I'm not a people pleaser. Like, you're a jerk. Screw you. But uh, when I was a child, you know, even into uh, early adult age, that's just how I was taught that I got good things or that I got recognition was by I do whatever you ask me to do and then you'll be happy. And so... Being being able to be in that atmosphere with him and see, you know, his family working as a team or as a unit or even when there was altercations, uh, this is probably another big one is yelling. Like, I thought everything was violence and yelling. You got mad at me, you were going to swing at me, and you were going to scream at me, and I had to defend myself and, you know, get bigger and make myself bigger and scream louder at you, and then whoever wins wins but getting exposed to, you know, that family and other family in the churches, it was this reality of, oh no, there is actually a way to settle arguments and to work through emotions without just exploding and puking them on someone. And, uh, that was revelational <laughs> because, you know, uh, I got married a couple of years after that to, uh, my wonderful wife that I met at a, at a camp, a Christian camp. And, uh, a lot of those problems showed up, you know, in our marriage and, uh, Luckily, I picked a good woman, and we were able to really work through a lot of that. And we're really seeing the fruit of it now, I guess you could say. And so that's kind of like how I've grown up and kind of become a person. Uh, but, you know, I really haven't talked much about God. And so unless you have any questions, I'm going to kind of how segue. How old are you now? I'm 30. Okay.
2: You've <laughs> such heavy
0: wisdom, you know. I almost said 27. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm three years ago. Don't worry three, about it. I <laughs> uh, appreciate that, by the way. Thank you.
1: Um, so since you've been here in Charleston, when was it that you moved to Charleston area?
0: I moved to Charleston. Let's see. I moved to South Carolina. See, I moved to Charleston f- a little over five years ago. So I've been here for about five and a half years at this point.
1: So what was your biggest challenge when you got here to Charleston?
0: Um, finding trustworthy people. I know that's kind of a harsh thing to say, but it was just really the truth. You know, we moved here to plant a church, and we were really giving it our all. Um, My wife and I both, you know, we came uh, with a a plant team, and we really tried hard to, you know, love on the community, reach out to the community, and uh, we just got met with a lot of empty promises, a lot of just, I mean, people pretty much lied to our faces. Um, And this was people, you know, that were in the church community, and so... That was really tough to work through for a while. I, uh, because of my past, I really started thinking, man, I really do have something wrong with me. Like, I got to figure out what my issue is because no one likes me. Um, and I really struggled with that. And so, but we've worked through it. You know, we've met, you know, I met you. <laughs> met, uh, you know, the people at Raw Coffee. They've been wonderful. Um, and so I had to learn that a little bit was on my side too, I guess, realizing who to pick as a friend and how much effort to put into people. So after
1: that experience that you had with the church where it didn't work and you were working with people that were less than honest with you, what was the point where you decided to pursue God again? Because I'm sure after that there was a time of hesitancy. Was there?
0: There was. Um, I actually... So during that time, I got... uh, My life kind of got stopped to a halt with just some medical conditions. And uh, I got... I kind of just had everything ripped out from under me. I got diagnosed um, going to a hospital. I woke up two days later. They diagnosed me with chronic PTSD, chronic depression, um, and then this it's a disease called PNES, which is um, psychogenic non-epileptic seizures. And so the way they explained it was it's like I had built a dam in my mind with all of the stuff from my childhood and basically just had repressed it, blocked it out, tried to move on from it. But because of where I was in that moment with that church plant and all of that hate I was getting from people, it cracked that dam. And so (laughs) all those memories came back. All of those moments came back. And with PTSD, it's not just, uh, you know, like a thought. It's feelings. It's smells, sights. Like all of your senses are going on from these past memories. And so it was freaking my brain out so much that it would literally knock me out. I would have a seizure. It would erase my memory. And then I would wake up and kind of start all over again and so and
1: that dam was broken in your mind mm-hmm. because of the church experience you were having.
0: It was kind of like the tipping point. Okay. Um you could say, you know, it's like there was already a ton of pressure just because you know, that dam wasn't meant to hold for forever. Um but all of the stress and the strain from getting no affirmation because I'm such an extroverted person, that getting all that hurt from people, it, I mean it was just like shooting cannonballs at the dam, I guess you could say. So
1: And you would think the opposite that, hey, I'm doing this church plant, I'm working with these people that I should trust that healing should come out of that. Yeah.
2: Were you, let me ask you this, were, was it something that you were kind of comparing to, it sounds like your original couple of church homes before you came out here were more nurturing, you, you had human kindness and provision and people really taking you in when you got here was that just totally different it was it was you having to deal with whoa not everybody that says they're a christian operates that way or was it um was it like that as far as um, kind of giving you like flashbacks sort of to how it was when you were a child because of the cruelty or dishonesty of people here or was it more Hmm. just new things that you were dealing with
0: I think it was, for my whole life, I had always been someone who chased people because having people in my life that I'm loving on and are loving on me facilitated that void. Like, it kept it, that literally was the dam, I, you. I guess you could say. Okay. And so when I ran out of that, and even after chasing people and not being able to get people to just be around, um, I think that the dam was just getting thinner and thinner, and then it just, and it, and it went... But that's the point where I I, uh, walked away from God, because uh, right after that point, I, so right before that, I had had um, ACL and MCL seizure, because I, or I'm sorry, ACL and MCL surgery. I had torn both of those uh, in Myrtle Beach right before I moved here, and uh, so my wife, my wife went through this arduous process with me of, uh, I got this, I got the surgery, and uh, I had to go through 10 months of like relearning how to walk and healing from it, and all this stuff. And there's... What, is, what is that also for our listeners? What is ACL? I'm sorry. So the ACL and your MCL are ligaments that are in your leg. Okay. And so they make it to where you can stand, and they keep your legs from really bending sideways. I know when mine tore my leg, it's like it bent at the knee, but it bent sideways. Ooh. And so... <laughs>
1: Dude, you've been through a lot. I mean <laughs> And then when the tornado hit me, <laughs> I mean, my goodness
2: <laughs> And then I
1: fell into the meat grinder <laughs> At work But no, I mean, it's just God's had his hand on you this whole time Bringing you through this Yes you know, there's There's no question about it And you still have a heart for people And you have a heart for ministry How did that happen? That's not something you can work up
0: God mm-hmm. It's not me and I hate saying that because that's like one of the cheesiest things on earth people say. It's, but um, you don't have any skinny, skinny jeans <laughs> on, so you're. It's okay. true. You're right. No, I'm wearing, I'm wearing basketball shorts. I'm not cool. But it but is whatever. God. It's not you. It is. It really is because I went through like especially right at that time when I walked away. I really hated people. Like I, aside from my wife, I just hated people. I thought, I thought that everything I had heard in church was a lie, and that everyone on this earth was actually a demon in human skin. And I just found everyone and everything repugnant because all they had done is hurt me or hurt the people that I loved. Mm. And even in the middle of thinking all of that, I still found myself caring for people. Someone needed someone and I would go. And I would literally walk away from it and go, why the freaking heck do I care about this person? I don't care about people. Um, and it, it just kept happening and I, I couldn't have, I couldn't avoid it anymore.
2: It's crazy know. how God will crack that the whole, like, you want to hold on. You want to hold on forgiveness. You want to trade. Uh, I've been wounded. I'm going to wound other people. I'm going to do this. And, you, and it's amazing. I know in my life, and we've talked about it at length, it's like I sit there, and if I choose to even hold a little bit, it torments me. It lowers the sheen on my relationship with God. All of a sudden, I'm like, where is he? He's not. He? And he's right there. You the can't see.
1: Anger so, clouds your vision of God. You can't see clearly when you're angry. You just can't. That makes sense because depression,
2: anxiety, all that stuff will follow holding on. I know why.
1: Oh, yeah. Your heart now. You've got a heart for a certain community, and that's why I think we get along so well. Share with our listeners about
0: where you're going and where you desire to go in ministry. Sure. Um, So to to share that, I need to give a little context. Uh, Even though I was in the church all those times and hanging out with those people... I never really was myself. I started making myself look and acting and saying and speaking like everyone else because I wanted to fit in. Uh, but it never felt right. I always felt empty inside, maybe even a little ashamed if I look back. And in the past couple of years, uh, just through the rigorous therapy that I've been doing, I've kind of learned who I am. And so now I just let that out. It's been amazing, it's been wonderful. And uh, who I am is not the status quo. You know, uh, I like macabre art. I like gothic art. I like, uh, you know, intense metal music, you know, punk, hip-hop, hardcore. Like, I really love aggressive, expressive emotion um, because we all have it inside. I know I have it inside me, at least. And, you know, it's just such a great way to get it out of there because I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm full of, you know, flowers and teddy bears because I'm not.
1: (laughs) Uh, Neither are we.
0: But I feel like that's, especially in the church, that's how people act, man. They're like, oh, yeah, I just love everything and everyone. You want some pie? (laughs) No. No. Mac, Mac,
1: though, he's telling us that he is full of teddy bears. No, he was like, I'll take the pie. (laughs) pie. It's okay, bud. We're doing this. I mean, this is really get real tonight. We're just sitting here. It's beautiful. It's beautiful outside, just, just talking. Mac's out here. We're blowing Gnosticism completely away with a few <laughs> nice cigars. It's, it's all good. What do you find healing about the aggressive music, the alternative music?
0: It's an, it's an avenue to channel the things inside that I'm afraid to let out. Because, you know, I have a lot of rage. I have a lot of anger. I'm a, I'm a ambitious perfectionist. And so everything frustrates me and ticks me off. And if it's not the way I want it to be oh boy, I'm going to fight it. And so being able to have an avenue like that where I can take that emotion and channel it out in a productive way is just awesome.
1: How about the gothic art? What do you like best about that?
0: So it's raw. I think that's really what I like about it is it's raw. Like I feel like a lot of art and a lot of beauty that we have in the world today, it's processed. It's literally like the difference between picking up a banana and eating a banana runt. Like one is real and one is completely fake, and when I look at something like Gothic art, you just feel the raw emotion that someone put into it. They're not trying to please someone, they're not trying to you know make bank. I mean, maybe they are, but like they're not selling out to make bank, right. I guess you could say right and so and I and there's something about that that I like also though, a lot of that darkness that I was talking about from my childhood, I have used things like that as a way to connected to something in the world that's positive and then I let it go in it. And so you know the sad depressing times that I can look back, you know, like at the you know the houses we lived in when they were dark and musty and dirty and there was just stuff everywhere. I can look at a gothic art painting. And it's like I can take that put it into the art painting and then start to feel some positivity about it, you know, kind of let go. And so I don't know if that makes sense. It does. Okay.
1: It, it, it does. It's real to you. Yes, It's real. It expresses reality. It's mm-hmm. not, like you said, like Dan and I often say, when you go into a church and you see all the pastel pictures of the flowers, then you walk into the children's nursery and you see Noah on the ark waving with all the happy animals on the boat. That's not real. When you take a look at...
0: The ex- <laughs> Who would Noah be waving to? <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's a really good question. Disembodied Nephilim. <laughs> Disembodied Nephilim. They, they're bloated. Disembodied (laughs) Ephelim floating
0: on (laughs) my. I'm learning so much today. (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
1: it's always a wild ride. You said something a few minutes ago that clicked when I was looking at scripture this week. I love how when you open up scripture sometimes you can read the first three words and God just opens up a floodgate when you read those. It doesn't happen all the time but you just take a look at it and it was one of Peter's epistles where he wrote I Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ and I'm like that's interesting that he wrote I Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ and Peter was a fisherman but that's all that he did on earth that's not how God saw him and when I read that this week I was like okay Peter was in sync with how God saw him for what he called him and knit him to be And I think that's where a lot of people struggle and where they kind of block the flow of God in their lives is they don't know who they are. And that's really important is to understand who you are in Christ because we are not who we see ourselves to be unless we're walking in the way God has called us to be and the way that people see us to be. It wasn't like Peter had to prove something saying, hey, I'm an apostle. It wasn't out there making this statement. Yeah, look at me beating my chest. He was just merely stating who he was, how God viewed him.
2: He was prophetically letting everybody know that he was not the first pope.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> A couple different levels of scripture. And, and that's that's one of the things I appreciate about you, Donnie, is you know who you are, and you make no bones about that.
0: I think to add to that, and this is, uh, this is something that I, I wish... Every, I know everyone can't, but I wish every person on Earth could really learn. Is when you're a Christian, you are not. Bam, the Christian. Look at me coming soon. <laughs> the Christian perfection. Been edited by every editing team. No, you still got a That's lot been of editing. My experience.
1: <laughs> well, we need to talk after the show, Dan. <laughs> we got some talking to do. Yeah, that just seemed a lot. (laughs) Sit down and have a little chinwag with Glenn, man. (laughs) No, you're right, because I I went through that. Um, I have pretty much burned all of the preaching tapes that I have from after I was saved. Because I thought in my mind, and I was deceived, where Scripture says, and it is true that God makes all things new, but it doesn't happen in an instant. And a lot of believers, they this is where they get into so much trouble and why people that aren't believers do have some fodder is they believe, well, I've been saved, so now I know everything. I can explain how the universe was created. I know it all. And it's taken getting beat over the head and through the rocks and through a lot of trial and tribulation to realize there's even times... On this podcast where Dan and I will say we we don't, don't know. know. We just don't and we know. thought we knew, you yeah. know, for years. And it's yeah.
2: like I don't know. And there. But then and you're you're not worried about it. You're not like, Well, I'm on team pre trib, you know, in like, you're like, <laughs> I don't know. I can barely figure out marriage business and
1: beer, right? <laughs> exactly. And it's like exactly. hashtag tulip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: You can't put it in a box. No, and what makes it interesting is that uh, like, there's a problem with Christian culture, and it's not that it exists. It's that it is as toxic and limiting as it is or as it can be, Um, and not even Christian culture in general of what it is. But the reality of what it is is it says, here's this box. Jump into it. You're good to go this is what being a Christian looks like. You have to feel this way. You have to look this way. You have to like these things. You better have a need to breathe album. or we're going to have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> and all, nothing's wrong with any of it. The problem is is that's not what a Christian is. What a Christian is is continuing to strive after Jesus on a daily basis, and it looks different every day. It's going to look different every year until you die. And yeah. that's one of the coolest things that I, was, I learned, because I've always looked at myself and gone, man, I am not like anyone else, at least you know, most people. Uh, but that day-to-day process, it's a lot easier when you accept that Jesus, you know, is still working on you and still molding you rather than you've already been molded and he's sent you out. And uh, and you get molded in the process. Yeah, exactly.
1: You know, a lot of times I've noticed you get sent out, not molded yet, and he's using that experience to yes. mold you, which is... I got moldy in the process. <laughs> <too>. <laughs> <laughs>
0: The times. <laughs> I always go back to David, man, because David was, especially like being artistically motivated, David was this, you know, amazing, strong guy. He was an artist. He was expressive. He was very direct. He had leadership qualities. He, made, he was a warrior. He made some of the stupidest mistakes. Yeah, he did. Yeah. But I look at his mistakes, and I really appreciate that, you know, I'm able to read about those because, you know, like the whole thing with Bathsheba, for instance, like you take that and generalize it in the Christian public today. David is a scum, he's scoundrel. He just needs to go to jail. And we never need to speak of him again. He was never a pastor. everyone forget him. turn his books. <laughs> yeah. but you look at what the Bible does and it doesn't do that at all. like it takes you through this arduous process that he went through as he was growing and he was fighting and fighting against God, fighting against himself and
2: I, I really that brings up something. There's a I would call it maybe an effeminate gloss on um, I'm not knocking outward morality. No. But men no. in the Bible had rough edges, mm-hmm. and it was mm-hmm. super common. You read through the Hall of Faith. I mean, they were doing, I want to dating a Philistine prostitute. Or, you know, it's like, what? And he's, you know, um, you have all these different things. And then in the West, especially, Americanized churches, probably in Europe as well, but it seems like you do get kind of an effeminate recipe of how you need to be as a man. And it's very um, neutered in -hmm. a way. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about being a hellion or justifying whatever, but you can be passionate and be a great man or a man that was used and not get it all right Right. all the time. And we think that, oh, my goodness, um, if I, um, you know, puff on a cigar or say the Sunday school word when I stump my toe. What's the Sunday school? (laughs) Um, But then it's like all these different things would disqualify you from service or something. And I don't see that as biblical in the same way. And so I I think we've got kind of a weird, when you're talking about that franchise or the, uh, not franchise, but kind of the look you know, you, you got to have, you got to listen to the right praise albums. Chris Tomlin, twenty four seven. Yeah, <sighs> you got to do this certain thing. You got to get your hair, the skinny jeans, the coffee shop, the whole like look. And I, there's no problem with. I don't like skinny jeans, but it's like Glenn wears them. But
0: <laughs> <laughs> you're just jealous that I can. <laughs> hey, talk about
2: your rollerblade ness, but it's like. <clears throat> But I, I think there's kind of a resurgence of people getting away from, what do you call it, effeminate legalism? Legalism is quite yeah, effeminate, it is. really, because it, it, it doesn't honor the blood, it doesn't honor grace, and if you notice, God uses passionate people, he mm-hmm. really does. I don't know if he has much use for people that aren't passionate. I
1: was thinking about Samson the other day, the strongest man on the earth at that time. Well, there's some chemical and physiological makeup that has to make you that strong. You have to have a load of testosterone. So no wonder he was chasing around after. A fil- <laughs> I mean, he was a horn dog probably. I mean, just think of it. Yeah. You true. know, cause I remember the way that I was after I was recovering from the brain tumor and they had me on the testosterone gel, dude, I could explode at any moment. I yeah. mean, I was just like, Ugh, you know, just yeah. like, Oh, everything was just, I'm just going to leave it at that but You're a beast It was tough It was tough mm-hmm. when you got all that testosterone raging in you But that's the way God built Samson And he was still used of God And Western culture I think Unfortunately has dictated the way that Christians are to be viewed in the way that Christians are to act Yeah.
2: Because
1: the whole time you're talking about the way that you're supposed to Look and act I'm thinking about two people in particular uh, Ned Flanders from the Simpsons <laughs> And the Reverend Lovejoy from The Simpsons, and for people when they're first saved, you get most of your theology. Just go ahead and tell the, the listeners the Sim- most of
2: your theology is from, from The, the Simpsons. Simpsons. <laughs> the Bible, 30 percent.
1: <laughs> but people fall into that trap. That's the way they need to be, and that's the way people view. I I, I mean, I have met some wonderful, fired up, born again believers that are some of the fiercest, toughest warriors.
2: I remember when I was growing up, and I walked in aisle when I was a kid, you know. But uh, later on, it wasn't until my teenage years that it really got clarified, you know, God's work in me, you know, grace. And um, one of my dearest friends that I was, I had gone and done some mission work with. He survived a concentration camp. He was a was joining the Dutch Free Forces to fight in World War II. Was captured by the Nazis. Was starved to the point that his elbows were coming out of skin, you know, was in a concentration camp. So, Man. But he also hitchhiked across the Sahara Desert, spoke 12 languages and about four different dialects. I mean, the guy was a machine. And I would be around kind of maybe a lispy choir director or, you know, just kind of normal church yeah. people that were like, oh, hey, how are you? You know, and I'm not saying anything, but they were just, it was a little bit on the effeminate side. And it's somebody that, if that guy was, got mad or something or stumped his toe and said something inappropriate or whatever, you would have thought that was the end of the world. But this guy, he was like watching Indiana Jones. I mean, I was watching him. He's changing money on the black market. He's talking to these soldiers that are trying to bribe us. It was like we were in a Central American country during a war, you know, in the the late 80s. And um, when I saw him, we were with a youth group and we're building a church and we're at this beautiful tropical waterfall. He's like, Boys, you want to go swim? And we were like, oh, yeah, but we didn't bring our bathing suits. He's like, You go in your underpants, boy. I mean, he couldn't care less. You know, and we're like, dude, there's youth group girls over there. What are we doing? I'm gonna go into this waterfall, my tidy whites. He didn't care anything. Or like back then and this, we went to a Baptist church that if like somebody saw you buying a bottle of wine, you know, it would have been like, What are they doing? He was like, oh, it's your anniversary. He's talking to a friend. He's like, enjoy a bottle of wine. Enjoy a romance. He had, and part of that was probably just being from Europe. But part of it was the guy had been at death's door. The guy had been chased across the Sahara Desert by the French Foreign Legion. He had he'd done all these things, life, death, and this. So he really lived. That would change your
1: perspective of God.
2: Yeah, yeah. And it's not turned into some weird effeminate idol that is like... Hmm. And I don't I don't know. I don't get it. I I don't feel because I think we get condemned. Think of how heady we used to be in the cult days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't even know if the rest of the world uses that word, but we mean just you get into condemnation because oh no, I thought this thought or I thought that when it was like, Yeah, you needed a wife. I think the enemy has moved on that. Gnosticism and effeminacy to cripple men. So that they feel like they can't
1: be passionate. But, totally. Yeah. Totally. It's about passion. It's about being real. It's about being, being who you are and knowing who you are, and being secure in the grace of God. Well, you
2: know the miracle around how we used to be on terrestrial radio, a regular you know radio program, a secular station. But we 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 talked kind of like we do now, mm-hmm. pretty much. Yeah, we did. It was amazing. But that miracle kind of happened. I remember somebody called and said, "Hey, you got to call in to the station. They're having interesting." Nancy Wolf was doing that. Yeah. And I called and called and called, and I was like, I yelled out loud. I called ten times, couldn't get through. called you, got the 1-800 number, then called again. I was like, ah! I screamed at the top of my lungs in my Honda, because I wanted to be on that program so bad. And then the door opened. Yeah. It wasn't something that was just going to come with a whimper and a party. dear
1: lord please open this I just don't th- know this door, yeah. why it didn't fall from heaven yeah exactly hmm.
0: exactly
1: interesting interesting stuff so you're moving on to other things now too
0: I am um, actually can I, can I bring a point back uh-huh. from something you, mm-hmm. you said a second ago so you're talking about you know this guy who his reality of God changed because of some of the <clears throat> how close he got to death you know the experiences that he had uh, one of the things that hope oh, I this way Oh, hey, Mac. One of the things that I uh, my goal is going to be in life, and it doesn't have to look any pretty way or anything, uh, is, man, talk with people who are either on the brink of suicide, ha- have struggled with it, or are struggling with some type of addiction that's going to eventually lead to death um, because I was there. Um, you know, all this kind of led up. Speaking of kind of cultish mentalities in churches, I, uh, I was heavily involved with uh, Five Point Calvinist Church, And, uh, I mean, I I can't even lie. I look at it now and I'm like, why? But it really made sense back in the day. Like, it it was logical to me, you know, Mm -hmm. this makes sense. Uh, But it actually ended up working against me. And I got to a point where one of the reasons I walked away from the church is I remembered... You know, uh, I think it's unconditional election, which is part of an acronym for um, Calvinism, talks about not everyone is going to get into heaven and that God has ordained some people to go to heaven and some people to go to hell. And it hit me one day. I was like, why am I assuming I'm one of the people that are going to heaven? Because yeah, I struggled with prayer. I didn't hear God like everyone else did. I wasn't, I didn't get all super emotional, lovey dovey like everyone else did. And I was like, man, I must be, I just must be going to hell. And so I just kind of accepted it and walked away. And I was like, fine, God, you're going to send me to hell. I'm going to go in style, you know, (laughs) jerk. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it it led down, you know, a path of darkness, depression, things taking over. And uh, I just, I mean, I ended up at a point, it was a little over a year ago now, where um, I found myself sitting in my room, you know, I had my shotguns in my hand, and I was practicing holding it in my mouth because I was going to blow my brains out and move on. I had convinced myself that I was weighing my wife down, that all of my friends, all the time that they were spending with me, they could have actually spend with someone that mattered, and that uh, I just didn't make an impact. All I did was suck life from the world, and I got to a point where I was like, I don't want to hurt people. I can't. So, you know, God, if you don't care about me, I'm just going to end it now. And um, you know, you can never be clear about these things, but in that moment, I am. I'm convinced that God, you know, stopped me. You know, he pulled that out of my hand. Uh, I called a friend of mine, uh, Travis, who lives here locally, and I was like, dude, I need you to come get me right now. Um, I'm struggling. And he came pick me up, kind of talked me down, as they say. I, I was able to express the emotions I was feeling in the moment. Uh, I gave him, you know, the, uh, the bullets to my shotgun, you know, that way in case it came up again later. And, I mean, for weeks I was still in depression, but, you know, as months went by, it kind of hit me like when something – hard or stressful or sad would hit, I'd go, I had a gun in my mouth. Why am I scared of this? Like I was ready to end it all. Screw it. I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to go with it, you know? And a lot of that was reconnecting with God or like stepping foot back into a church. I was never going to do it again. I I hated churches. I I hated the culture of churches and I found it repugnant, not God, but the church is repugnant. Um man, I don't know, just getting to that point, it kind of made a lot of that easier. Not the idea of, oh, I almost committed suicide or, you know, like that, that's a good thing to do. But when I was able to, in my way, be hit with the reality of life is pointless, you know, without, without God, I mean, it really is, you know, and, uh, that I couldn't find value in myself outside of that. It really just put a lot to perspective and, uh you know, you were talking about ministry earlier. That's the goal I want to reach. You know, I know what it's like to be that, that guy or girl or whatever who is, doesn't want to go to church, does not want to talk to other Christians. If I see one more Ned Flanders, I'm going to lose my mind. But <laughs> Yes, indeed we do. I could resist. <laughs> I mean, I really, I get it, man. Like, it's just, if that's not who you are, that's exhausting and annoying. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not, there is no status quo cool thing about it. And so. I have a question because that was powerful
2: what, what you
0: said. As
2: far as I have surfed both sides of that wave, the whole uh, the question of election, obviously, is a huge deal within the church. Mm -hmm. And you can go hyper on either direction of thinking that this is all up to me and my efforts and my free will to do the magic trick that makes sure that I get in versus God and his sovereignty, sovereignty choosing. And then there's Molinism, kind of right in the middle. What inwardly in you, not so much theologically, but what has changed the, where you have received comfort, where you know you're
0: His. Studying people, believe it or not, because uh, mm. if you look at a lot of, if you look at a lot of the doctrine that is more doctrine than it is Bible, there's personality in it, and everyone is made differently, everyone runs differently, and at the end of the day, we are who we really are, and you know, one of the things for me that was really hard with working my best unconditional election, I've got to achieve all the goals is I'm just not that guy. You know, I would rather have nothing in life and not achieve any goals. If I could sit here and make you happy. And, you know, I was able to just, I don't know. It just kind of hit me one day. I was like, I was looking at it and I was like, man, why would that be right? If that's not my personality at all, because God made us all differently for a reason. Mm -hmm. And if a doctrine is going to limit to one kind of person, that doesn't really connect with what God was trying to do when he made all of us so unique and different. So why, why am I so hard on this?
2: I just met you, but you definitely have that that intensity. It reminds me,
0: some of your struggles
2: with that remind me of things that I went through because at times I was like as Arminian as like Charles Finney, and then I was way on the other side as far as bordering hyper-Calvinism. And I heard it explained this way and I thought it was wonderful that if I ask you, who wrote the book of Romans? And then you were to say, "Paul," and be like, "Exactly." Or if you said, "God," I'd be like, "Exactly." And there's this mysterious concoction between God's hand and and man. It's uh, there. There is such a thing as our responsibility when it comes to salvation, and then there is this sovereignty and we know that both of those exist but we don't know the exact measurements of the recipe and it it can be very and you remind me of the way that I handle because I would go really intense and I would be super self judging I would broadcast that self judgment on other people to see their faults Mm -hmm. it would give me man I can't stand them and I also hate myself you know and it drove me kind of crazy for a while and then I know in my own life just eventually I got settled in the fact of going like, I wouldn't even be able to comprehend these questions. I wouldn't have even, even what I'll tie this in or try, hopefully this is linear in some format, but you're basically, almost everything you've been describing has been describing, I think, the psychological underpinnings of what it would mean to be goth. Goth in a way would be if somebody comes to the nearness or the acquaintance of death, Even through conviction of sin, through fear of judgment, Mm -hmm. through self-scrutiny, through um, self-abasement, through all these different things which play a part as we are brought into the kingdom. Um, Or even my friend in that concentration camp, he saw death all around. And the sobriety that's caused in the soul by that gives that zest for life, that excitement of the receive of, of grace and new life. And then all of a sudden it makes you want to live to the very, just to the last drop of the nectar of everything. That, and it's, it's this passion. And we all three, we like intense music. We like art. We like these things. And there is some real parallels towards that, that artistic side or even that um, flair for the way that you live, the way you express yourself. It does have to do with coming back from the edge of having a shotgun in your mouth of going like, who am I in this? And then when you're able to get that close, value the shadow, God pulls you out of that. And now it's like you feel that inward, um, what do you call it? That inward knowing or that that I'm, I'm one of his. I'm one of his. I may be down there with Delilah, maybe, (laughs) whoa, what's Bathsheba up to? You know, all the different problems (laughs) and moral struggles that that men and everybody walks through. But then you're like, no, by something greater than my own strength or my own ability to walk a moral gauntlet, right, right, that he did is bigger than, my salvation is not just dependent on me running through the obstacle course really good you know to try to win it but it's it's it is that mystery between those two things but and I guess back to your question because I can ramble but hopefully there was some sort of clarity in that but since you got to that low point what is it now that you feel or how did you come about having assurance that was the word I was looking for
0: so after after all that happened, um, so this is going to connect to when I actually finally, when I did accept Jesus, which actually was just a couple months ago. Um, I had a moment where, um, so I, I've experienced like, you know, like crazy, you know, supernatural things most of my life. And. I've been super confused because, you know, especially learning psychology, you learn that the, the mind tricks you in a lot of ways. And so I've, there's so many things in life that I look back and I'm like, was I really experiencing like a demonic presence or was my mind just facilitating some type of image to help me get through the moment? Like what was it? Whatever. But I had this moment, uh, it was back in November. It was just after I met Glenn and, uh, no, it was in October right before I met you. Just before you met I'm you. sorry. That's no, okay. And, uh, so i had had this this dream about 10 years ago where i just kept seeing the same demon every night in this dream and it would be chasing me and then all of a sudden it would have me by my throat and it would just be snarling and laughing in my face and then it would be chasing me again and then the dream would just go like that all night for like six months every single night i had that dream and uh i had some friends pray over me um i remember them you know we figured, we figured out its name and we were yelling at it. And I remember standing behind me and then yelling its name and yelling the name of Jesus. and like went away. Um, and in that moment I was like so hardcore Christian, like Jesus. <laughs> but yeah, as time went on, I would look back and go, man, what was that? My brain trying to work through something. Cause I just transitioned out of my really violent house into like, I was living in a friend's closet and, um, and so I thought that was my way of working through things. Um, but that demon showed back up uh, this past October. I was at a friend's house. We were talking about Christianity. We were talking about Jesus. And I started seeing this guy, like, all around me. Like, I would see him, and I would turn away and, like, try to keep focusing on the conversation. A guy or a demon? A demon, sorry. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Um, but he kept popping up right in front of me. And, uh, it, you know, I just I told the guys that were around me, I'm like, hey, man, I'm seeing this sure you can't see it, you can't, I don't know, whatever, just don't let me walk into the woods, because I had a lot of anger towards this demon, and it almost felt like I was being tempted to kind of come at it because everything in me wanted to go and fight this demon, because all the supernatural stuff that I experienced, I was so tired of it, I just wanted to punch it in the face and uh, so I went home from that instance, you know, checked out, whatever I go into a dream, it felt like three or four days, it was just very elongated and that same demon was torturing me in this dream and it was doing all these crazy things and I had this moment where it would be a cross between I would see it coming at me and then I would be dreaming and seeing it above me like I kept going back and forth between those two things but I had a moment where I watched it take its claws and I watched them go into my back but in that moment it was like I didn't feel anything and it almost became like a light hearted joke like it was just like all of the fear and stress and angst was gone. And it just became a really lighthearted moment. And then I started to watch this demon continue trying to torture me, but I didn't feel anything. It didn't matter.
2: And do you think that was outside comfort from the Lord, or do you think that's the way that psychologically, after you're enduring this thing for... A, like a dream and torment and all these things. After a while, you're just like, you kind of give up. Was it a giving up or do you think it was an outside comfort?
0: I really do believe it was Jesus okay. um, just because of a lot of the things that I experienced in life. I mean, even I talk about the torture of it. I, I could have, I, whatever. He could have done that for the rest of my life. I don't care. You know, but it was the difference in the emotional like setting, I guess you could say. Cause even in the moment when I feel the pain, it, it, when you when you when you experience something so much it's kind of like you said you get numb to it mm-hmm. but it's still there mm-hmm. um, but it was like in that moment all of that was gone and there was this immense peace that came out of nowhere and it was definitely not of me cuz even in my dream i remember going what is that
2: the devils are such liars and they they are. didn't, didn't want to let you go hmm. all of that stuff and and the weird thing i guess as we get older i feel like i know less and less and less but what i do Kind of feel like I may have grown in wisdom slightly, is that there usually is a, a mixture, that, like we were talking about um, human responsibility versus the sovereign of, sovereignty of God, or in a situation like that, there's no doubt that um, mental, psychological, and spiritual things were all at work, Oh and yeah, and they're yeah. all combined. And it is very difficult and often very daunting and confusing for especially a young Christian um, to even begin to approach discerning the difference between is this me? Is this my flesh? Is this some of that acid I took? Is it you know what is going on with all that, these different things? But he definitely is a liar, and they didn't want to let you go. But the Lord had other plans, you know.
0: That's that's a beautiful testimony, man. It is. Wait, this is where it gets interesting. So, the day after that happened, I meet with a pastor, except Jesus. And, like, I'm going for it. I'm like, man, I'm doing this. I, I had a term for it. I'm not going to say it on your podcast because I want to be respectful. <laughs> I called it the effort method <laughs> because I got to this point where I was like, Jesus makes sense, and I really want it. I just can't figure out how to get it, so screw it. I, Hi. i like, hey, Jesus, I'm here. Let's go. Let's, let's be fuddies. What are we doing? And, uh, you know, I accepted Jesus. And then I went two weeks after that, man. I got really, really, really sick, like to the point where there was multiple times where I was like, you know, I'm probably going to die. I'm okay with that at least i accepted jesus a week or two ago you know my wife sat through me sat with it through me and you know i i ran like 106 degree fever like it's yeah. hallucinating yeah. i was seeing a lot of stuff and um, i kept experiencing this demon attacking it would be violent attacks i'd be in like a dark sleep and then all of a sudden i'm getting flipped over on my back and i look on my on my arm and i can see this print on my arm and i'm like oh my god i'm going crazy you know, I was freaking out. I would shake all night. My wife would pray over me. Like, I really thought it was demonic. And then I got better, and I was like, man, I got really sick and hallucinated. Fast forward to last week, I'm talking to my wife about it, and she was like, I, was like, I told her, I was like, you know, I just don't know if I was just, you know, hallucinating all that. And she goes, oh, no, you weren't hallucinating. I saw the hand. You know, I, I saw it. I watched it happen. <laughs> And it was encouraging, but at the same time, I was like, you couldn't have freaking told me, <laughs> you know, months ago. That way I could have not struggled with all this doubt. <laughs> but uh, she told me she saw it too. She said she was praying, and she saw it kind of, you know, a hand coming at her, and, you know, again, like you said, you know, psychological, emotional, spiritual, it all kind of coincides. And but I'm, not, I'm not
2: definitely not taking away from the supernatural. because no. no. I
0: 100%. We've
2: seen some crazy stuff, yeah. and it's like, but in hindsight, when you look back, you're like, Was I tripping? You know, what was going on? And there, you know, there's plenty of
1: real things to deal with in each one of those realms. And back to what you said, Dan, it's sometimes... It's not until you grow and you're way out of that experience that you realize what it was. That, yeah, I had an encounter with a demon. Or that was just my mind playing a trick on me. Or I had an encounter with an angel. And had that happen... A lot of times you don't process that, and I think the Lord kind of protects us. He reveals to us, just like your wife telling you at this point in time, what that was, hmm. that she saw that. There's a protection in when that to when it. you can handle it, and you can understand <laughs> what's going on. You can't handle the truth! <laughs> yeah, sometimes,
2: remember, there's uh, mercy and opacity, or friends. Yes, in they are. Sense. Yes, they a lot are. of times, the, the less we see, and you feel like, Oh, I'm totally alone, and God's got His mercy all over you. And then with it, everything's crystal clear. You got to mind your P's and Q's, you know. It's, yeah, know. yeah. Wow.
1: God's doing exciting That's things enemy. in your
2: life. It's so interesting yeah. to me just to see personality types of like alternative music, metal music, punk. like more intense music? I don't know what all the psychological profile is, but there's something going on with this type of music. The people that are attracted to it, to play it, to write it, to listen to
1: it. Um, I don't know it it's, uh, seems meatier well even for me growing up I, I liked hard rock and I liked metal but I wasn't sold out to it, I was your top 40 guy mm-hmm. I was really kind of your top 40 guy up until I I'm had the so brain I'm so glad God changed, God changed me <laughs> until I had the brain tumor removed and I had that experience with death and I really didn't start getting into gothic art until after the brain tumor huh. I just felt a natural draw to it, it's like I can deal with that. I can't deal with, you know, in sync and all that stuff. It it just wasn't real anymore to me. And Mm. what we were talking about earlier about coming to that brink of death, it really changes your perspective on a lot of things. Yeah, it does. Life becomes more intense.
0: So to segue (laughs) off a point you made, you asked me earlier what what I'm wanting to do with ministry. Well, it's kind of like, you know, Christians... The church always encourages Christians to aspire to be like Jesus. When I look at Jesus, I see a guy who didn't care what anybody thought about him, spoke what he thought to be the truth. Well, I guess he knew it. I'm going to speak what I think to be the truth. Mm -hmm. And uh, he took along guys who probably were not ready for the job, but he was faithful beside them, and he pushed them, and he encouraged them, and he walked through all of their failures with them. And that's what I want to do. I want to take a bunch of random people who everyone would look at and go, no, (laughs) no. You don't got the worship look, pal. These ain't skinny jeans. Sorry, mm. I'm sorry. Where's the flannel? All right, down, get out. I want to take those people. And you know what? If the flannel wearing skinny jean person wants to come along too, let them come along yeah, and just go do ministry.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because just be yourself.
0: It's really cool. Like you know Tyler from the coffee shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, we become super close friends. We are completely opposite individuals. He is the skinny jeans, flannel, coffee shop looking. You know, but he's legit Christian it guy. Like. I don't know. It's been an interesting, growing experience for both of us. Hmm. Uh, but, I mean, he's a wonderful guy. Do we like the same things? Not at all. Um, and that's what I see in ministers. What I see is you take your talents, I'll take my talents. Let's combine them together and go and love everyone. you know. And I think breaking down stigmas is a responsibility of the church, and I think the church has put too many stigmas in place. Yeah. Well, how
2: beautiful if, like, Ned Flanders and then some goth kid, go minister together and it's legit and yeah. real yeah. and then somebody gets to see whoa it's not the skinny jeans it's not whatever they're doing it's it's the message there is yeah. you know God's really promise. that's yes. what the,
1: that's what the world longs for it, yeah. it tries to they want it to be real yeah and they try to force unity they try yeah. to force a fake hey let's all get along when we really don't get along but when you're walking in christ you can have the goth guy, and you can have Ned Flanders, and it worked beautifully. Think of the music that you like. It's
2: not the prop. It's not the cliché. It's something that was, it may have been fanciful, it may have been um, crazy, it may have been wild, it may have been risk-taking, it may be whatever, but it was not the safe play. It was not the, oh, we got to do what everybody else does, we got to get this one look we got to have our worship band sound exactly like Coldplay. We've got to do all these things, um, and that's that's what you do. I hate that. Yeah. But it's this, It's almost like politicians, you know, like putting the wet finger in the air and trying to see where the wind's blowing and do everything safe. I don't want it. Oh man, I don't want them voting me out as the pastor. Or I've got to. I can't offend anyone to sit there and go like no. And and I think we create a culture where people are oversensitive. I'm not talking about bashing your congregation, but I'm saying if, um, just like some of the weird stuff that we talk about sometimes, we don't want to make people stumble, and we're not pastors, but it's like at the same time, if I want to say something that's controversial or something that I don't understand, like when we did the one about the scariest thing in the world, mm-hmm. the Bible is the scariest thing in the world. <laughs> you read it, and yeah. you really believe it. You have to go like, uh, and it, it comes straight without a chaser. Yeah. And you have to deal with it. And there is no um, any sort of interpretation of some sort of politically correct here it was given in love, but it's brutal. You know, you yeah. said savage, savage, I think is what yeah. you said about it. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, good good meaty conversation. It is. It is. What,
0: what you described, and I think this is one of the big problems, is what you described was a business model, but we're talking about the church. There you go. And that's the problem: is is that we've taken formulas, and I've been reading. So, like with all this Corona stuff, for instance, I've been reading and. You know, Anthony Fossey this, blah, 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 blah. But one of the things that uh, the government is kind of getting dogged for right now is they've been using algorithmic computer programs to project, you know, is corona going to do this here? Is it going to do that there? What about antibodies is going to do this? And it's actually come out to kind of hurt us a little bit. You know, the projections that they had, it came out that they had um, exaggerated them and that they're not anywhere near as accurate. And uh, if you do your research, you'll realize that like a lot of the, you know, death numbers and stuff are nowhere near as extreme as they're talking about. But anyways, and so, but I look at that and I see, okay, they're doing what they thought they had to do for the greater good by exaggerating things and lying and not telling everyone. I don't see how that fits into the church in any way whatsoever, but you see that in the church all the time. We're going to look and act and feel this certain way. We're going to run these specific programs and that's going to be success. All that does is bring in the money that you want. That doesn't actually bring in people. Um, And I'm not saying those people are bad, and I'm not saying, you know, the American church is bad. I think that power and money are impossible to control. And if you try to put it into the hands of a pastor and expect him not to fail and then not be open about it, you're going to get what you see every day where every month a pastor falls out because he became an alcoholic because he was too stressed to speak the truth.
1: Yeah. that that's works a good in a business point.
0: model not that, in the that's church. a good point and like, so. I
2: think the business model analogy really works because you have to start with your mission statement of even saying in a business like, what is success and scripturally uh, was success having everybody leave you getting crucified rising from the dead um, blood revolution, empires imploding and falling but yet the gospel goes around the world you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So if you interpret that as, oh, if we have a huge building and we have uh, <laughs> Mac is on the attack. There he goes. <laughs> but, but think about it. It didn't look like success, right? Ministero's success of thinking like, I'm all alone. Everybody hates me. But, you know, 20 people got really born again.
0: Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. Well, imagine if uh, you took Charles Dawkins and you made him one of the biggest pastors in the world like people wouldn't accept him it's like you look at paul it's kind of, i know paul his bit was murdering i'm not calling charles dawkins a murderer or anything i'm just saying it he was very opposed and opposite to christianity like paul was and you look at the work that paul did and i get i get afraid because i feel like people like that who they may maybe they'll change their mind one day god will reach him they'll go oh man you know i really want to do this instead are we are we as christians going to be open-minded to that or are we going to be closed-minded because of their past Right. Right. That's a really good point. It's scary to think it may not go the way we want it to. (laughs) Yeah.
1: No, and it's probably going to go the way we don't want it to uh, in a lot of ways. And I think we've gotten a glimpse of that with Kanye West over the past several months. Yeah. You know, he, I believe something happened in that man that, that changed him drastically. I believe he got born again. And then you have all the naysayers that are sitting on the outside saying, well, he's not doing this now. He's not doing this now. He's not. They're trying to put him into that box. Oh, that's so wrong. Let Kanye be Kanye. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's so yeah. wrong to it's, do it's, that. It's totally wrong. It's, birth is sloppy. And it is.
2: And it, we want it to line up so linearly, especially outwardly.
1: It's like, no, no, let God's grace... Donnie, it's been cool hanging out with yeah, you man. in the backyard. I mean, in a
0: backyard, get real talk. I feel, feel like, like I've is, known you for a while. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's that kindred spirit. Yeah. All it, all it really takes is, is one hour time. in Glenn's backyard, and bam, you're best <laughs> It <laughs>
1: took me what? How many minutes? How many hours? Uh, minutes at the coffee shop that one night. We We were there there for like four or five
0: hours. We were there for four
1: hours just sitting at the coffee shop talking. In the freezing cold.
0: (laughs) It was cold. (laughs) Well, freezing for the south. (laughs) Yeah, it
1: it was cold. (laughs) Well, Donnie, thank you so much for everything that you've done for us and that you've been doing with us, and it's been great to have you on. And if somebody wants to reach out to you because you spoke something today that really kind of touched them, is there a way they can get in touch with you? Or they could send us an email. Mental us.
2: telepathy.
0: I like that one. I'm going to go with that one. Mental telepathy. <laughs> Wait, I'm getting something already. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm actually I'm not a social media guy because I'm the new hipster. I'm ahead of the curve. I'm okay. actually anti internet. Okay. Okay. <laughs> totally kidding. No. Um, is an email too old-fashioned? Because that's kind of no, all No, email. <laughs> we, we have people reach out to us through email all the time. Cool. Uh, do I need to, like, spell it out now, or am I just going to give it to you later? If
1: you want to so our listeners can write it down. All
0: right, get a pen, <laughs> pals and friends. It's uh, D-O-N-W-A-L-K-E-R. That's all lowercase, no spaces. 8-9 at gmail.com.
1: Awesome. If any of you want to reach out to Donnie and talk to him some more and maybe he hit upon something that's going on in your life and you want to talk to him about it, please reach out to him and you can always contact Dan and I. Dude, we survived outside of the fishbowl without water. We did. We we can live outside. We're kind of like Klaus on American (laughs) Dad. I'm like like a guppy over here. (laughs) (laughs) But if you want to reach out to us, you can get us at lithoscry at gmail.com. That's L-I-T-H-O-S-C-R-Y at gmail.com. Or check out our website at lithoscry.com. And thank you for all of our new listeners that have come to the Get Real podcast as a result of being quarantined in their homes. And we Thank you for listening. we got some uh, exciting programs coming up. We do. we got um, some real exciting stuff coming a up. Stuff, so. A lot of stuff. A lot of good stuff. We're going to talk some more about some strange mysteries in the universe. we got some good interviews with some good bands the future. coming up. And the future. Yeah, we're going to talk about the future. Think about the future. That one's, yeah. It's going to be good. And Mac gonna... calms down at the end of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, Mac finally calms down. He was trying <laughs> to tell everyone and wiggling and wiggling. And... <laughs> he had one thing to say to the world. Bacon is good. That's yeah. That, that, that's, that's, that's definitely logos. <laughs> Bacon is metal. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you everybody for listening. lithoscry.com